Hello everyone and welcome to Hero with a Thousand Faces. Today I'll be speaking to Australian hip-hop artist Alex Harvey, also known as Swaz Benjamin. We'll be talking about changing, becoming, loss and passion. See what I mean though, you let the early years are really... One of these old days. What's up, my brother? Excuse us, but I seen you suffering in a rut. Your life stuttering, you're slumped. Connections still buffering. Traveling avenues of bumps in. Rough stuff and battling, haven't you just been? Bleeding, fiending for what you're needing. Supreme cup of that relief and love. Feeling abused, confused, and used up. Bemused and such, muddied and nutted and cussed, gutted and fed up. Of late, not straight. Dudes, when I get the blues and the tough fakes, I choose the so, hey Alex, uh, where did your alter ego Swaz Benjamin come from? Mm, okay, how you doing, Phil? Um, well, uh, Swaz is my nickname that I've had for quite a long time. Um, so that started out from uh, school days, just, uh, you know, playing around with people's names and we put, used to put an SW in the front, in the front of people's names, so... You'd be Swill. Um, <laughs> someone was Craig. You'd be Swag. You know, I was Swellix. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we on the we went along uh, calling each other that sort of way. We just put a Y as well in front of our names occasionally as well. Yalix, I got called Yalix, but Swellix stuck for a while. And then one day I was uh, trying to drop into the skate ramp at um, a local area across the road from my friend's place. I've been trying all weekend. I'd never been able to drop into the ramp before. And my friend came across the road. I was at the top of the top of the ramp. I'd been trying to do it all day the day before. I couldn't get it. And my mate walked across the road and yelled out, just do it, Swaz. <laughs> and then and, it was uh, and I did it. I dropped the ramp, <laughs> went up the other side, went back down and just stuck from then. So um, right, Swaz people, people will often think that uh, – I was maybe born in Swaziland or or I was Polish. My name was Swazinski or <laughs> these types of things. But no, it's just, just uh, youthful. You go know, like Bob Dylan and sort of encourage the rumours, you know, and just like let people think what they want to think. Yeah, I've spelled it out here, but anyway. <laughs> uh, I did. Why I did, did I, no, I did used to, I did used to play along with, with some of those. I particularly played along with the Swaziland one and told people I was born in Swaziland. It's pretty common, isn't it, for, for like hip-hop artists to have um, alter egos. So, do you know why that yeah. is? It's kind of like a superhero, you know. You have a superhero alias. But particularly with hip-hop being born out of kind of disadvantaged and oppressed areas, even in particularly in New York amongst black and Hispanic, white people of poor, you know, socioeconomic status, like that it was a way to embolden uh, yourself by having a moniker um, and like an alias, like an alter ego. So it helps you like become more, you know, like be to, yeah, to act like you don't have the problems you have and kind of raise above it sort of thing. Yeah, and it, and it also... Um, perhaps gives you 
um, license to talk about um, things that you might not talk about in your everyday, you know, or um, yeah, and to kind of just put on put on a different, not necessarily a mask, but you you, you are accessing this ex, this separate kind of creative entity that can do things that you don't normally do in your regular life or that you might not normally talk about. Um, and for me with that, uh, it's also acknowledging that I think a lot of creatives have acknowledged that creativity doesn't necessarily directly come from yourself. It kind of comes from the ether and something that's a little bit more powerful than yourself. Like the muse type of idea, you know? Or like some Fernando Pessoa type of thing where you've got sort of lots of different names for different aspects of yourself or I contain multitudes type of thing with definitely. Walt Whitman, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you don't want to be type, typecast into just being one one thing. And uh, I, I remember actually, I, I saw you in a, a hip hop club in uh, Finsbury Park uh, a yeah. few years back. I, I, did you remember yeah. the name? I can't remember it. It's called Silver Bullet. And like all the rappers in the club uh, were pretty hardcore. They're going on about uh, sort of stabbing and status and uh, they generally had sort of bees in their bonnets about something or another. Mm. Uh, and then you came along and it was like a sort of a cool breeze through the testosterone, like mm. sipping a G&T type of thing. And a sort of a. <laughs> A refreshing antidote to, to the sort of uh, to the testosterone filled room. Mm. Uh, so, is, is that like an Aussie versus London rap thing, or is that just you? That's I don't think it is entirely no, because we have that here as well. Um, and I don't know what that's about. Again, I feel like perhaps that has something to do with people feeling not necessarily inadequate, but. Um, they're obviously feeling questioned about their ability to to be in the society as it is, or um, you know, like they've seen that gangster rap. That's kind of the commercial type of gangster rap. Because I, I was just uh, talking with someone about this the other day, that there's kind of like two different types of sort of gangster rap or hard, tough hip hop. Um, that exists and one is the uh, the one that's kind of journalistic and documents what goes on in the hood or in areas you know disadvantaged areas where they're facing you know um, lack of access to good education healthcare um, role models um, they're facing racism, police brutality, things that we've seen at the moment in the world. Yeah. Um, and they document that and they do it in a way that's also entertaining so that they can make money for themselves as well as speak on what they see in their environment. And they try, they don't, they, they recognize that that way of life probably isn't the best, it definitely isn't the best way of life but they're going to make the best of what they've got in the situation that they find themselves in. So they, they're, um, they're using that to then transcend and get out of the ghetto or out of the hood or out of these areas and out of that mindset 
through entertaining relating to it. Then you've got at the other end of it, you've got corporate um, backed, big label, image based kind of fake gangster rap that just yeah. that just that just is propaganda for that sort of lifestyle. That that sure. like not like uh, the other version of gangster rap recognizes that this isn't the best way to be living, whereas the other corporate backed, big label backed image fake image based stuff basically propagandizes it like it's that's what you should aspire to it it seems to be such a kind of powerful genre because it's just adopted all over the world and i mean exactly and then it's adopted and copied all over the world because of that propaganda arm but traditionally you wouldn't think of you're from tasmania and you wouldn't think of it's it's the least hip-hop place possibly in the universe (laughs) and um it's up there yeah here we are there's probably a few that are even less, but I'm definitely at the spectrum there where, where you would think that, no, there's not going to be any hip-hop there. Yeah, it's like you and Stratford-upon-Avon, like at the bottom of the list, isn't it? And yet there's probably rappers from both. And <laughs> why is that? Why is hip-hop so powerful? Like why do people adopt it in so many places compared to maybe other forms? Again, I think it's about self-empowerment and you're, part, and you're becoming part of something a movement, but it's a movement that's ba- that is based on respect and, and building skills and networking and creativity and entrepreneurship. Um, and and this is a really good quote here that, from KRS-One, who's one of the you know most widely respected authentic hip hop artists that's ever been. And he said um, that hip and hop together, hip. Um, up to date and to have knowledge of what's going on in the present moment and and the past and the future and where things are going. And hop is a movement. You can't watch it. You have to do it. So hip hop is, for him, he said it's intelligent movement. Yeah, that's nice. That's a nice definition of it. Yeah, so I think that resonates with a lot of people because it's it's not just like being part of a big. We got I just yeah, I'll acknowledge that like hip hop as opposed to just general music. There is a lot of personal identity and character, even though we're talking about older egos here. But it's it's very often. I mean, there's groups, hip hop groups, obviously as well, like Beastie Boys, Cypress Hill. But you know, they tag team rhyme stuff and all that, but. Over time, it's become very much kind of the journals of an individual. Um, sure, yeah, it's been taken to people really like venting their demons and and, and being quite honest, isn't it, nowadays? Yeah. Um, and that's what sells is like honesty and what what's and all is uh, what would you call it, I suppose? Yeah. Yep. Over time, it's become more and more like that. In the, in the past, they were, in the past, in the early days of hip hop, it was more braggadocio you know, braggadocio and battle rapping and I'm better than you and my styles are so dope and everything and all that. But over time, people are realising, you know, they want authenticity. Yeah. Yeah, there's no need for it really, is there, you know? Um, and, and so about your journey, um, mm. which is kind of the idea, I suppose, of the, of the, the podcast, is uh, when when did you start out? And by that, I mean, I don't necessarily mean in rap. I mean, in terms of your sort of creative transition from what you were to to what you, to, 
the act of becoming? When did you sort of take a step outside normal life and go, I want to do something different. I want to live life in a different way. I think I, I was saying to you before we, we started uh, recording tonight earlier that, you know, I haven't necessarily found my ultimate pathway by any means or am in the perfect spot that I want to be, um, you know, or what's, yeah, haven't got it all figured out or whatever, but um, I'm still pretty content with where I am and things have I've pursued a lot of different avenues in like my working life and and I have a pretty wide range of interests. So I've always been difficult. It's always been difficult for me or difficult for others maybe to try and put me in a box and say, you know. Sure, uh, it's not like you just sort of decided to become a rapper, became a rapper, now you're a rapper and you're happy sort yeah, of thing. It's, like, that, it's no, more complicated. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, just, um, I mean, my album that I did, I've only I've only put out one album, which was I put oh. it out uh, a year and a half, nearly two years ago. And what um, was that called? Sold Out Volume 1. Um, so it's S O U L E D out, uh, volume one days gone by D A Z E gone B Y E. So the theme of the album itself is, um, the central theme is like coming to a new perspective after going through kind of youthful confusion around a lot of things. So the album in itself is kind of like about becoming something um, different, same, same, but different and having a different perspective on the past and different things that I've experienced or I've witnessed or I've heard about or just about coming of age. If you, if so you it, sound, it sounds like... like- Sounds like you kind of had a you know difficult or confusing time, like you know, like most people when when you were yeah. younger. Yeah. Um, so, what was that like? I mean, what was it like growing up? Um, so, I mean, oh, man, there's a lot of different things, I guess. So, I'm I'm an only child, grew up with a single mother. Um, would go and see my dad, but didn't really have a connection with him until I got into my teens or. You know, and then I became really close with him. He's one of my best friends, but that was at, at a personal level. I had that and I had, you know, stepfather and when I was quite young and he was from Scotland and I, you know, maybe found it difficult to resonate with him. And, yeah, I was a bit confused about family life, I guess. And, you know... Um, I had a stepbrother and and then my mother and my stepfather split up and I never saw them again for a long time. I'm friends with my old stepbrother again nowadays. But So you kind of came out of this and I know you, you travelled a lot. Um, and was that a kind of, was that the awakening, I suppose? So I re- I'm rec- thinking about it now uh, a lot because, um, yeah, my father passed away uh coming up to three uh, three years ago 
three and a half years ago now. Um, and he used to travel to Greece and Turkey to collect plant seeds, rare plant seeds for his nursery that he had here in Tasmania. And so when I was younger, when I was 15 and when I was 18, I went on trips with him to Greece. When I was 15, the tri- you know, the first trip, that was my first ever trip overseas and we went for two months and I just it was incredible like it's a really unorthodox you know my my dad I never went on a real like leisure holiday with my dad ever he always found a way of whenever he was doing anything that was like leisurely there'd always be some point to it or activity that he'd be doing like you know he'd have some time off from work so you'd go fishing you know he wouldn't just go and hang out at a beach he'd go swimming in swim laps in the beach or he'd go and we'd go for bushwalks and then we'd go fishing and then we'd go um diving for snorkeling for abalone and the coast here um when he had time off from his his work in the nursery which was at his house so he was always surrounded by his work um, uh, I think I've just gone on a bit of a tangent. I can't quite remember. No, no, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I suppose it was like um, the tra- travel and uh, like how you yeah, sort of so, that three yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that I've been reflecting on that a lot now, and that just opened up my world immensely by going over to the to Europe at that age and then traipsing around in the Alps with my old man looking for rare plant seeds and interacting with, you know, goat herdsmen and local people in really off the beaten path places. I was going to say, uh, we once uh, went on a motorbike tour through uh, the yeah. desert in uh, in Arequipa in Peru. Yeah, uh, and I, I don't know, do you remember you, uh, you disappeared for a while? Yeah. And we uh, we all thought you were dead, uh, and then yeah, <laughs> so we were freaking out trying to work out what to do, and then um, and then you appeared, kind of yeah. casual as as if you were some sort of Antipodean Lazarus or something, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it was uh, quite an adventure anyway. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I know for me it was uh, it was a hard adjustment back to normal life uh, after mm. you know these epic adventures we were having. Mm. Uh, mm. What was it like for you? Um, well, the thing about Tasmania is when you come back here, it's very, you notice it's very quiet. Uh, there's a lot of space and open space. Um, that's, that's always a bit of a shock. Sometimes it's nice and familiar. Other times it's a bit, um, a bit of an extreme, uh, sensation, but, uh, in terms of, adjusting back into life I felt I remember because I'd experienced with with Tom and Zach who you know my other two mates that I was traveling with they were here in Tasmania with me as well um so we felt like kind of like the three amigos that have kind of like gone over to the other side of the world and come back triumphantly in some ways Sure. Um, so that did that help to the, the kind of adjustment process back to I think, sort of normal I think life having the shared time. experience with them helped um, because we could we could um, bounce all of the tales off each other and relive the experience like often 
we did that when we came back and we felt buzzed by it. But, yeah, after a time you get that itch again and you feel like the white picket fence life and the watching the regular news on the telly and the, you know, narrow-minded, closed-off kind of feeling can set in. Sure. And then it's time to kind of renew mm. things again, isn't it? And in some other yeah. way, was music, was music kind of part of that? Cause you obviously that's quite a big part of your life. now. Um, having the creative outlet and doing that, um, helps me a lot through, through times where, you know, I might be finding it difficult in day to day life, you know, just having that outlet really helps to offset any of any doubts about certain things, particularly when another time, particularly when my old man, he died from melanoma and he was sick for two years. Particularly during that time, I really, I really put a lot of effort in to make sure that I saw through my album. And this is why, like my album, I'm saying it's a coming of age fresh perspective on the past kind of theme. It's because some of the songs I'd been writing writing them for or I'd written the basis of them quite a few years before and I didn't know how to finish them. I had to live a little bit and experience some things to know how to finish them because they were particularly, you know, there's a few story tracks on there where I didn't know how to finish the ending, I didn't know how to do the ending of the story. So I had to experience things in life before I could finish them off. And then it seemed like when my old man was sick culminated in I was kind of forced to evolve and have these other perspectives on it gave me a different perspective on life and the you know the temporary nature of it and mortality and all those sorts of things. So Yeah. I wanted to make sure that I finished that creative body of work that I had. And um so the the, the first time you performed, um, how did that feel? Were you, were you a natural or was it sort of a terrifying um, experience? Uh, I think I, I, I don't want to be too cocky, but a little bit natural. Uh, like I, I really enjoyed it, the feeling of it. Definitely nervousness. But the times when I first got on stage, I mean, I used to, I used to be a little bit of a class clown in school, and I used to do like I used to read Tintin to my, in diff, do all the different accents in it, like read Tintin out to my class with different accents and like do silly performances at like variety shows at school or whatever. And I'd done a little bit of, I went to like a bit of a drama academy even when I was in early high school. So I kind of, kind of reveled in it a little bit, but yeah, definitely nervousness. Um, But at the same time, when I was first jumping up on stage was kind of in these kind of small hip hop and kind of drum and bass well, there's one one club here called Mobius that I used to go and there'd always be de- DJs there and randomly they'd have mics there and random people would grab, get up and grab the mic and then they'd have MC battles there and different that anything goes kind of thing. And if I knew like the DJ who was playing, then they'd kind of pass me the mic and I'd jump up and the, the energy back then was like really, when I was in really early 20s, the energy in there was great. Like you could get on the mic and just chant something and just or just say, hey, oh, and the crowd would say it back to you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like, wow, this is like really powerful. <laughs> that sounds great. Sounds like a perfect sort of a, like learning atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, with, with my journey with into hip hop, like I started out, I'm not really from the city so much here. I'm more from kind of borderlining, borderline bush area with surfing beaches, still not far from the city. It's pretty small. It's only like 20 minutes away, 25 minutes from the city. But the city is only about 250,000 people. So it's not a very big city. Um, That's Hobart, but, right? Yeah, Hobart, capital of Tasmania. But um, so I kind of grew up around those areas and I didn't really know anyone who was doing who was practicing hip hop, but a lot of the guy, the older guys around my neighborhood were listening to hip hop and I'd drive around in their cars and they'd be playing like, you know, NWA and Tupac and Biggie Smalls and then Eminem and Ice Cube and, and stuff like that. But then I found, I found, found my own way into hip hop through Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul and the Beastie Boys. And Cypress Hill a bit as well, and and whatnot. But when I started, I, I started rhyming and writing. I was already songwriting in high school when I was about twelve, thirteen. I was like, my stepbrother was into grunge music and 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 heavier rock like um, Metallica and Nirvana and things, so Chili Peppers and Pantera. So I was, I got into that genre of music through him as well. Those genres. And then started songwriting just for rock bands and stuff. We had a really good um, – I went to a, I went to high school here. It was kind of in a, you know, a rougher area. But they had a really good music studio and music facilities there. So we used to hang out in there and I'd write songs and whatever. But um, when I first started writing raps, I was playing – because I've always played guitar from a pretty young age. Well, my stepbrother taught me to play guitar when I was about eight – I think I played it on and off. I had a, you know, I've had periods where I haven't been playing guitar, but I've done lessons for guitar and things. So I, I used to like play simple chords and then rap for my friends. That's how I started rapping. It was just playing simple chords on the guitar and then rapping up because I didn't know anyone who was making any beats or anything or producing beats or any DJs really. Until then, I went into the city when they had open mic nights or hip-hop nights and I discovered the hip-hop scene and I wanted to try and rap on instrumental beats and with a DJ, you know. Yeah. And what's the best thing, do you reckon, about uh, about your kind of musical life, a professional musical life? Is it, you know, I know there's like lots of downsides to, to music as a career in general, but what, what are the positives? What are the biggest things? Yeah, it's just, it, it's a big part of my personal development in terms of, having a creative outlet that helps balance my day-to-day life um, and also it's a, a um, great for networking and the people that I've met through it, a lot of friendships through it and a, and a shared sense of community. Yeah, connection is like kind of what it's all about, isn't it? It's why music is, exists, I suppose, isn't it? You know? It's a universal language as is what people say and, you know, I, I feel that even like a lot of my stories in the way that I write is very personal and locally appealing, but I always think about the universal appeals of it as well and um, that kind of transcending just your 
personal self in your area going beyond that what, what kind of like you know the, the obstacles are famous aren't they in the music industry but in your experience what have, what have the obstacles been well Ta- tasmania in itself is a bit of a bit of a double-edged sword because on one hand you can there's not a huge number of people involved in the genre that i'm involved in so i can have had access to some really good opportunities of supporting bigger acts. Um, but at the same time, it's because there's not that many people here, crowds can be quite fickle and the energy can dissipate a little bit sometimes, which is another okay. reason why I love to travel. And, and so what advice would you have for people who might want to make music kind of a bigger part of their life or a professional part maybe? I mean, how would they get into it? Yeah, I mean, this is... It's the thing these days. A lot of people want to be creative, and they but they they can't find the time, or they don't prioritize it. And I guess that just comes down to the individual if they want to. I mean, everyone's creative in some form or another. Maybe maybe music isn't your creative outlet. Maybe it's another form of creativity. But there's no reason why you can't have multiple creative outlets. But I guess. First and foremost is just just practicing it, just picking up an instrument or just writing lyrics down as frequently as you can. Um, yeah. And then, uh, in fact, I met up with some younger guys here, some younger hip-hop artists here yesterday, and they were asking me a bit about they'd put an EP out and they wanted me to have a listen to it. And I gave them the, some, some advice about things and I, I was saying, you know, Sometimes a lot of the music these days, uh, it's so easy kind of to just get started with making music these days. It's a lot easier than it ever has been. to a, Like being able to do it to a professional level yourself because there's so much, our computers are so powerful and the software is so powerful that you can, you, can, you can write a hit record from, I've got my setup here in the kitchen, off the side of my kitchen. Could write a, I could write a hit record from my kitchen, maybe, you know. Yeah, would have cost tens of thousands before, I suppose. Yeah, I just have to put the time in to learn the mix, the side of mixing and mastering, and as well as the song. You know, there's layers to putting a song out, and then the promotional part of it as well. It's your, it's your creative outlet, right? Like, yeah, one of your one of your main creative outlets. Yeah. So does the money side of things kind of detract from that uh, creative process? Yeah, one of the one of the worst aspects, obviously, can be that you know someone wants to be creative, but they 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 don't know how successful they're going to be. And I mean, the statistics are that most people don't make a living off their creative works. I mean, it's hard for someone to just roll the dice and take a gamble with that. But I think if you just take a leap. If that's really what you want to do, if you take a leap, things find a way of falling into place as long as you stay clear with your vision, I guess. But in terms of the the money side, I mean, I, I was thinking around, it's the age of the dichotomy of the creative, creative works versus, you know, economics. Um, and I compromise. In compromising as well. The compromise, I think, is definitely felt more in the big label end of town, like we were talking about with the fake gangster image stuff. They mould artists in a way that they think is going to make money. 
um, and but but lot more increasingly uh, um, musicians and probably it's a trend across the arts entirely um, are becoming more and more independent and they're becoming like I was saying you can produce a hit record from your bedroom from your kitchen from your lounge room off your laptop yeah um, so and you, you can, can cut out the middleman you can cut out the middleman more than ever um, so I don't know if there's that many people compromising things as much as it maybe did in the past. Let's say once labels see what, you know, if we go back on the history of music, when, I don't know, when peak record sales, you know, nowadays people don't buy physical physical music very often. Back in the 80s and 90s, is when you probably had the most amount of physical copies of records, CDs, tapes being sold, um, and the music industry saw what was successful then, and then tried to copy and emulate and make artists, mould artists to be like artists that were successful in that period of time. But now everything's been democratised, and you see the trend across across um, society, even with things like Uber and like Airbnb, like being cutting out middlemen even though the, I mean the apps themselves are middlemen but it's um, democratised things a lot society these days in the information age and, and the Aussie scene like I guess you're in you know it's like well you are in it's uh, it's like a kind of not so well kept secret I suppose but not it's not perhaps world famous uh, and like who else is coming up in, in Australia at the moment that people should check out oh man it's so diverse now you know um yeah i don't i mean to be honest i don't really pay a heap of attention to um australian artists that much anymore i used to i'm a little bit older now so i went through a period when i first discovered australian hip-hop and i used to buy every release that I came with that was, that was I used to go to the record store here any new Australian release I didn't care what it was I'd just buy it because it was so amazing to me when I first discovered it um, it was so unique and, and and appealing and interesting to me because I hadn't heard and never heard anyone rapping in our accent telling saying you know place names around Australia that, or even in your local area that, you know, you never heard them being yeah, yeah. being yeah. spoken about on record before. It's always the Bronx or something, isn't it? And then yeah. suddenly if it's your hometown, it's a bit more exciting. Yeah. Um, so I used to buy everything, but now, oh, there's so much. But, I, I mean, I listen generally, I listen to so much different music and I, I've only recently just been getting into because because my my taste in hip hop had been so for um, well formed from my youth into my you know I'm in my thirties now so my taste was really well formed. I'm I'm only just now coming to a point where I'm where I'm going to a bit of a clean slate with hip hop and then just seeing what's what's uh, what's there for me now to listen to in this next phase of my life. Um, yeah, not so, not so restricted by kind of nationality or a scene or whatever. No, not not really. I'm not. I don't. I just like good music. 
Um, but in terms of, I mean, if I could throw a few Australian acts around, I mean, an, an Australian act that I've supported a few times that are really, I find them a good first protocol for people who haven't really listened to Australian hip hop is Thundamentals. Okay, uh, Thundamentals. T H U N D A, like thunder, as in yeah. thunder and lightning, but with an A on the end, thunder, and then mentals, all one word, Thundamentals. Um, another good one. I once met a I met a German guy once in South Africa who told me that he only listened to old school German rap and Australian hip hop. And I was like, what? I was like, niche, what? super niche, super <laughs> niche, man. I didn't believe him. He's like, check my Spotify here, and he showed me. Sure enough, there was all these German songs, and then like horror show, Thundermentals. Hilltop Hoods, these are other big Australian acts. Draft, they're like the big acts from from the earlier two thousands. The older guys now, I spit like especially Hilltop Hoods. They're they're they've been the most successful Australian hip hop group of all time. Um, but there's so much, there's so much great. I mean, a lot of the hip hop from Australia that I kind of grew up on, a lot of it was white Australian perspective. And they, there's been a few terms they throw around like skip hop um, because we say like a skip is kind of like a white Aussie, like a skippy kangaroo, you know, <laughs> skip hop. Yeah. They sort of skip hop, barbecue rap, you know. It's about <laughs> beers and barbecues and the white Australian male, young white Australian male perspective, which yeah. I definitely have, you know, some core elements from because that's the stuff that I first listened to. But now you have a lot more diversity in the scene with a lot more people of colour being more successful. People like Sampa the Great, who's a Zimbabwean-Australian artist. I saw her in uh jazz cafe in Camden, sold out, um, with a huge number. Of, most of the people in the crowd were black um, and she's representing Melbourne and then Zimbabwe as well. Uh, no, Botswana, sorry. Botswana. Um, and then you have, now you have kind of a lot, there's always been a few Islander, you know, we have quite a high population of Pacific Islanders um, in Australia, so you have quite a lot of Pacific Islanders involved in the hip-hop scene here. Um, Coolism was an original Pacific Islander group. The the rapper from Coolism is like the host of the, the biggest hip hop show in the country on independent radio, Triple J. Um, and you're about to uh, yeah. release a book, right? Ah, good to be, yeah. So I mean, that's as I said before, my old man um, passed away a few years ago, and he was um, a widely like, internationally recognised plant hunter and plantsman. He had the largest list of rare bulbs for sale in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, he kind of, that you know, for 25, 30 years, that was his life, was growing these plants and collecting, hand collecting them and trading seeds and, and trading maps for locations where he could collect them. And over the last few years before he passed away, he was writing a blog he wanted to really, he always been 
writing. He was always a, quite a talented writer and um, used to write a bit of poetry as well. And so, yeah, he started uh, he started his blog and he, he was formulating all these stories and uh, around his um, – mostly around his seed collecting trips to Greece and Turkey. Um, and is, but, it, is the blog the basis for the book? Yeah, it's 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 comprised of all of his blog stories. Uh, so yeah, we're putting all of his blog short stories. You know, they're you know three four pages usually. Yeah. And um, so, in terms of people finding your music and um, more information about this book, uh, where will they find you online? Um, if you just search for me, Swaz Benjamin. There should be quite a few links come up, all the standard socials, so S-W-A-Z and B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N, Benjamin. Um, so, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I've got about I've got three film clips, um, three, four film clips on YouTube and... Um, yeah, on, I'm on my albums on Spotify. It's on Apple Music. You can go to my Bandcamp, which is SWZ Music, all one word, SWZMusic.bandcamp.com. And through there, you can also purchase. I'm nearly sold out. I've got about 10 to 15, less than 15 left of my pressing. I've got a. Um, I pressed up 50 vinyl. Um, I've got about, yeah, as I said, just under 15 of those left, and they can be purchased through there as well as I've got. I've sold out of men's t-shirts, but I've got women, a few women's t-shirts left. They're all for sale on my Bandcamp, but just through my Instagram. I mostly use my Instagram as my platform for promoting my music, and I put like a link to whatever is most relevant at the time onto my Instagram. Yeah, Instagram and Facebook, you know, the usual ones. Fantastic. All right. Mm. Well, thanks very much then, Alex. Appreciate it, Phil. And I want to congratulate you on the podcast because uh, it's um, been really interesting listening to it and I uh, wish you all the success with it. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, man. Bye. See you, mate. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed the show, sign up to get updated whenever a new one comes out. Go to philweston.blog to find out more and uh, please leave comments because feedback keeps things interactive and we love to hear what you've got to say. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.